Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. We have another great episode of Trainer Talk with Lori Chamberlain, education manager of Fear Free and expert trainer in her own right, to talk about some of the most annoying household disturbances our dogs create, from counter surfing to garbage raiding, and of course chewing on everything they can get their mouth on. Lori, we are talking today about a topic that you and I both can definitely relate to with our own pets, as well as with clients. It's a very, very common issue that a lot of dogs have, which is counter surfing, garbage raiding, and chewing household items or other items not meant for doggy teeth. So... I'm excited to jump into this topic. First of all, what are your initial thoughts on this? Uh, My initial thoughts on this are, boy, do I have a lot to contribute to this particular topic. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Actually, the the reason I was so excited about this is I just recently went through a whole ton of issues with our newly adopted dog, Nova, who is just like the most excellent counter surfer, but also like not a a little bit of a garbage raider, but also a drawer raider, a medicine raider. Like it has been a whole thing. So I definitely have a lot to talk about with this too. Awesome. Yeah. I have a few stories of my own about my little Brio and her counter surfing tendencies. I think she's got her advanced degree in that particular skill. So uh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So when we think about this behavior, a couple thoughts that came to mind for me is that first of all, you know, people don't necessarily understand like, why, why does this happen? So if it's like, you know, you leave out a sandwich, you leave out a bowl of cereal, you're cooking, uh, the dog steals some bread dough, for instance, which, hey, that can actually be a huge issue because that dough expands in their stomach. So be very wary of that. And, you know, uncooked meats, whatever it might be. And in our minds, it's it's sometimes upsetting, especially when the dog acts just fine. They're kind of ignoring that food when you're around. But as soon as you leave the room, man, the game is on and uh, things go down. And all of a sudden you come back and, yep, the counter is empty and <laughs> dog is licking their lips. And it's like, oh, no. So a couple of thoughts that, that I have on this is that it's not the dog, you know, trying to be naughty or the dog purposefully trying to, you know, be deceitful or anything like that. A lot of this actually is a natural behavior for dogs. And that's why it can actually be so difficult to counter when we talk about counter surfing. But so a couple of thoughts I had on this are, you know, first of all, so when we think about like chewing, for instance, supernatural doggy behavior, going back to, you know, ancient ancestors of the wolves to their ancient doggy ancestors, chewing is just a part of digesting that food. So pulling apart that prey or whatever it might be, it's just breaking it down. It's a great form of entertainment and dogs definitely develop certain preferences that they like to sink their teeth on and the way that dogs explore is with their mouth. So, you know, they are, since they don't have opposable thumbs, they are picking up things and trying to figure out what it's all about with their mouth. So any thoughts you have right there on, on chewing Lori in terms of where that comes from? Yeah, I think you really hit on something really important um, with chewing and counter surfing in that addressing why it's occurring, like looking at why it's occurring, I think is really important. So if it's in a lot of that can be 
told to us by the age of the dog. So if it's a puppy who's doing chewing or anything kind of inappropriate, quote unquote inappropriate, um, it's oftentimes just a simple exploration strategy on their part. Like they, they view the world with their teeth and their noses more so than we do. You know, we tend to look around and view the world with our eyes, hear things with our ears, whereas puppies will tend to put everything in their mouths just as part of exploration. So I would say it's usually motivated by that in the case of a puppy. And sometimes in the case of a newly rehomed dog, like your girl, Nova, um, she could be using that exploration strategy. Uh, but I think sometimes if we look at, if chewing is only happening, let's say when we're out of the house, um, then it, there could be an anxiety component to it. So especially if it's an older dog who quote unquote knows better, and doesn't really, when you're around, they really don't chew on inappropriate items. But suddenly when you leave the house, you see either on a camera or physical evidence of chewed table legs or couches or whatever that they have been chewing while you're gone, then there could be a separation anxiety component to it. So that could be something a little bit more serious that we want to talk to uh, the veterinarian about or talk to a trainer or behaviorist about, another fear-free certified professional. So I think that's really important that you brought up, you know, why is it happening? And I think that's really the place to start when we look at um, potential solutions to it. And another thing I wanted to add for uh, counter surfing is that we can actually bring the cats into this a little bit. So in terms of why it happens, it's usually a very different motivation for cats versus dogs. So if you have a counter surfing kitty who loves to count climb on your counters, Oftentimes in that case, they are seeking height. They're seeking either an escape from the dogs in the house or just a place to be that's up high and away from all the commotion. So a really easy solution if it's a cat who's doing counter surfing um, is to allow them access to something else like a cat tree that is big and high and tall and gets them, um, gets them that ability to climb that they so desperately need. Uh, whereas dogs are often doing it like you said, for opportunity or um, theft, things like that. So I think that's a good place to start. Why is it happening? Yeah, and anytime they get that reinforcement, so they jump up on the counter, they are looking at the the coffee table and are smelling, and then they, they get that little snack. Even if, if it's just every little once in a while, like you're really good about picking stuff up, but they get that form of reinforcement every now and then, it just further drives that behavior. So it's just like us, like how a lot of times we like to play the, the slot machines or get a lottery ticket because it's like that unknown, that excitement, like, oh, maybe it'll pay off this time. The, the idea that it's not every time that the dog looks up on the counter or or goes through the garbage that they find something really good, it's like that seeking system. So it's like, ooh, I wonder what I'll find today. So that that really drives that behavior in terms of it, it also being random when they're going to get that really great form of reinforcement. And also another thing I was thinking about as you were talking about how sometimes pets will do this only when they're alone, definitely that separation anxiety anxiety can be definitely a huge driver. I think that's a huge component of everything with Nova. And also sometimes dogs and cats are punished for, for this behavior. So they learn to, hey, I can't do that. It's not safe when they're in the room. They don't necessarily learn like, oh, that's a bad behavior because it's just natural for them. But they learn, okay, it's safe when mom and dad, when they aren't here, then it's safe, like when they're upstairs or whatever it might be. And also another part of the nature of, of all of this is that scavenging behavior. So dogs 
are that that was really what is believed to be the key reason that dogs evolved from wolves in the first place was their ability to scavenge at the edge of human civilization. So they were they were going through human waste, finding food, and you know it, it was a benefit to people because hey, dogs are helping you know or ancient wolves that that turned into dogs are helping to to keep things clean. They're offering other benefits as well, but you know, it's something that, that really is how dogs evolved in the first place. So it's really, really rooted in their DNA. Yeah. I love that. Um, do we have time for a little true confessions here about my Absolutely. own scavenger? So, um, counter surfing in particular is something that can happen very quickly. So, um, for example, uh, speaking for a friend, uh, this particular friend went outside down the street or down to the end of the driveway to get her mail. And when she came back from picking up her mail, the grilled cheese that was cooking on the stovetop, uh, the pan was empty. No more grilled cheese in there. Uh, the dog in question, who shall remain nameless, had stolen the <laughs> cooking grilled cheese <laughs> off of the pan <laughs> while it was cooking because she took the opportunity while her human was going to get the mail, saw an opportunity there, stole the grilled mm -hmm. cheese. Um, another another story that I heard from a friend, of course, is uh, <laughs> about a dog who may or may not have stolen some raw chicken breast when the owner went downstairs just to switch the laundry from the washer to the dryer. So we're talking well under five minutes, but... Owner is out of the room, uh, dog sees and smells an opportunity and goes ahead and seizes it because they are, at the end of the day, as much as we love them, opportunistic scavengers. So, mm -hmm. And when you even think important. of it, uh, first of all, I feel like you know this friend really, really well. <laughs> and then secondly when you're you're speaking about how it's like when you leave the room when you actually think about this it's it's dogs doing what's actually polite in their doggy world so if you look at dogs like they you know they each have their own chewies in the home of their multiple dogs it's fair game when that dog leaves the chew and walks away for other dogs to come in and grab it or if you look at wolves, they are on a carcass and perhaps there's like one or, or two wolves that are working away at it. But when they end up leaving that carcass, then it's fair game for the other wolves to kind of go in in whatever order they, they may do that in. And so it opens up that opportunity like, okay, hey, I'm done. Now it's your turn. So it's almost to our dogs a natural behavior because it's us when we walk away or we leave something unattended. It's like, okay, I'm done with it. Now it's your turn. Yeah, and I'll, that, thanks for pointing that out. I'll see that amongst my own dogs all the time. If one of them is chewing on a, on a licking a Kong, let's say, and then is done with it, goes up, leaves the room, but leaves the Kong behind, then the other dog takes that as a signal like, okay, I can go in and finish that. And there's no, I'm fortunate that I don't have resource guarding issues between my two dogs. But yeah, I do see that trading of bones and trading of resources once one of them gets up and leaves the room. So that's a really good point. So we've talked about why it occurs, how it's so common. Let's go into some of the solutions. So Lori, do you want to yeah. do you want to counter this? So counter this counter surfing and the garbage rating and the chewing. Like, what are your top tips? So for these particularly, I feel like management is a an almost a bigger part of the solution than training, or it needs to be done at least 
simultaneously to training. And what I mean by management is um, blocking the dog's access to certain areas or certain items that you don't want chewed, uh, perhaps a certain room of the house to prevent the unwanted behavior from happening in the first place. And at least initially, um, a management is going to be a really big part of your solution. And while you're managing it, you can, um, you can use things like dog gate. You can put a dog gate around your kitchen. You and I may or may not know what that looks like due to our own particular dogs. Mm -hmm. um, you can potentially close the door to a room in the house if that's where chewing goes on. Um, if it's a baby puppy, one of the things I like to do is use a leash tether. So tethering the puppy to me um, so that they can't go off and get into trouble without my knowledge. Um, so management solutions, really preventing that problem, especially for things like chewing. Uh, usually a lot of the things that are inappropriately chewed, shoes, for example, can be put in a closet, can be picked up, put out of the dog's reach. So management is really my, um, my go-to for that. Um, if you do manage to catch them mid-act, like my friend, <clears throat> aka me, uh, did with the <laughs> did with the raw chicken breast incident. Um, in that case, you can use an interrupter that isn't scary to the dog, but that gets their attention. So in my case, I used like a hand clap just to get her attention, and then I was able to redirect her <laughs> off off of the chicken breast and onto something a little bit more appropriate um, than reward her once her little paws were on the ground, reward her with something else for leaving the other chicken breast alone. So I at least was able to salvage half my dinner in that way. Um, but otherwise management, and I, I'm sure you also have some training strategies and as do I, so maybe do you wanna get into some of the things you might wanna train the dog to do as alternative behaviors in addition to the management? Absolutely. And uh, just touching on management for a second too. So when we talk about management, that is like picking up. So making sure that if you are leaving food unattended, either if the dog has access to that area, then either putting that away or taking the dog with you or putting them in a dog proofed area. So that's where the, those doggy gates come in handy. Maybe you have a, a dog room or a cat room in terms of separation for some dogs, just like I've been going through with Nova, she is very, very distressed when it comes to being confined and left alone. So I can't personally just put her in a crate, for instance, as a form of management, although that would be ideal in some circumstances when you are concerned that pet's gonna get into something. Can't do that with all dogs, especially if there is an underlying separation anxiety component. So with her, a lot of times, if there's something I'm leaving out, I'm taking her with me, or she actually does do fairly well in a gated area. So I can use a gate that's more open so she's not totally confined, and that, that can be really beneficial. Another thing when you're speaking of management, I love your idea of like picking up the shoes, you know, whatever it might be if your pet, sometimes a, a lot of dogs, especially if there is some kind of se separation component to it, they may have that, just this tendency to go towards really high smell items, which is why they really love shoes. Uh, sometimes it can also be material specific, such as like leather. They like the, the feel of leather on their, on their mouth or maybe that rubber sole. Or sometimes they'll, they'll go for items like the remote control, for instance. It probably feels fairly good on their, their little teeth. And then also definitely is high smell as well. So trying to pick up those items, putting them out of the way. And another thing with that, that management that does start to go into training too 
is also giving them ample alternatives. So lots of different chew toys, lots of different toys, lots of, you know, and really reinforcing that behavior. And then lastly, when we talk about management, another thing I think of like in terms of the garbage raiders, some dogs are really skilled at this. So you may have a garbage that the top closes completely and that's enough to keep your dog out. But others, you know, you really need more of like a locking system because some dogs will learn to even step up on on the, the little stool part and like like press the lever and open it up. Or for some of those garbages, they can just stick their head through and get to whatever it is. So that's where you may need to look at a locking garbage, putting it under a cabinet. So also make, making sure that you manage any of that trash as well. So on that, um, this good friend of mine <laughs> whose dog <laughs> <laughs> happens to uh, also be a garbage raider. So uh, this friend of mine has gotten a cabinet, especially for the garbage can to go into so that the dog cannot open. It's like a decorative closet-y, cabinet -y kind of thing that holds the garbage can within it. Because like you said, um, certain dogs can figure out how to step on the lid and open it or push their snouts through even the closed lids kind of garbage can. So that's been our solution to that. Uh, rather than trying to spend a million hours training the dog to leave the garbage alone at all costs every time, no matter when, no matter what happens when I'm not in the house, I'm just going to manage that particular situation and do that. Um, so for things like, also for things like baked goods, um, ideally, I don't leave any food on my countertops ever because of the garbage raider that is in the, the counter surfer that is in my house. Uh, but there are times when I need to. So for example, baked goods that are cooling. Um, so things like really, <laughs> I've resorted to putting uh, a tray of cookies up on top of the refrigerator. If you don't have a cat in the house, that can work if you have only dogs uh, or pushing them way, way back on the counter and putting empty cookie sheets or empty pots and pans in front of them so that the dog can't access them as easily. That can work well. Too, or at so. least you'll be able to hear it before they get full access, right? Exactly. The clanging is going to give away the thief <laughs> in the mid-act. So when it comes to actually being able to have some training solutions and being able to address maybe those underlying causes such as anxiety, what are your top tips there? So especially if it's happening while I'm in the room and cooking is a really good example and I want the dog to be able to hang out in the room with me. I will often teach a settle on a mat in the kitchen. So um, basically it's rewarding an alternative behavior. So what I mean by settle on a mat is take either a dog bed or it could even be an old blanket or a towel or anything and really reinforcing the dog very well for being on that mat. So it gives them a target, gives them a place to be that's very specific, that is also incompatible with chewing inappropriate items and it's incompatible with being on top of the counter. Um, so I like to use really long lasting chew toys on the mat. Um, I'll initially teach it. Uh, I use a clicker and treats to initially shape the dog to go to the mat. So just not trying to expect the full behavior at once, but initially starting out with just clicking and treating for looking toward the mat and then potentially sniffing at it, clicking and treating for that potentially putting one paw on, then two paws on. And most dogs get the idea fairly quickly that I get paid for being on this mat. I, it's a really good place to be. It's a high value place to be. Um, so you can fairly quickly put that on cue. So either go to your mat or place, or there's a, 
tons of different cues you can use uh, to really make that a high value place for your dog to be and really make it worth their while to remain on that mat while they're in the kitchen or wherever else. Yeah, I, I love that idea of mat training. And I find that so important too, when we think about even our dogs begging. So begging kind of goes along with what we're talking about. So sometimes it can be really pesky whether your dog's begging as you're, you're cooking. Of course, I wouldn't know because I'm a terrible, terrible cook. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I think the dogs have uh, learned that when I'm in the kitchen, it's really not worth their while to really care because it's, whatever's coming out isn't good. But my <laughs> boyfriend, Chris loves to cook. My daughter, Reagan loves to bake. So those are some, some good examples of when the dogs may be begging or they may be trying to jump up and grab something. So I love that, uh, that idea of having that alternative and so being able to reinforce them for being on the mat or say that you have your dog in a gated area, like maybe they are nearby, but they're in their crate or they're in their pen. We can reward them every once in a while for that nice, quiet settle. So just for being quiet, because some dogs will get really amped up and agitated and it's like, oh my God, I really want that, really want that. So they may be whining or barking. What we want to do is reinforce that quiet, reinforce that settle. And for begging, uh, that really does go along with this. That's one that I've been working on this past year because my dogs went to went to live with me and my parents the last couple summers, and they learned that hey, Doctor Doctor Grandpa loves to give us little treats off the counter, and they became like infamously amazing beggars, especially Indiana Bones, who I have to say. To me, he's perfect in every way, but he, he definitely got those like, I mean, champion, champion puppy dog eyes, like chin rest, looking up at you, hard to say no. And my daughter, Reagan, you know, Otis is her little baby. So every once in a while she was, you know, giving him food and it just became a regular occurrence. And so for us, we have been sticking to the no feeding the dogs rule. So we've we've kind of redone everything because yeah, we let things slide. And so it's that that reinforcement. So we're trying to reduce that reinforcement, reduce the reward of that behavior, and then give them that happy alternative. So for begging, for instance, we are not sharing our food, whether it's you know cooking or whether it's when you're eating, trying to reduce that that reward of that behavior. And then also, yeah, reinforcing those alternatives. So like for instance, when we're eating our food at the very end of the meal, the, the dogs have, have done really well and they've just been kind of settling and chilling out, which they've learned fairly fast on this, surprisingly, that, hey, we aren't, we aren't getting food anymore, but we do get a reward for being settled. So then we take them in the other room and that's when they get their reward or we reward them wherever they're settled. Maybe it's on their dog bed or on the, on the other couch or something like that. So love that idea. Yeah, so I do, I do extremely similar as well. So I, um, if I am going to feed my dog, like let's say I'm having steak and I want the dogs to have a little bit of steak, I'm never going to feed them from the table. That's my yes. unofficial rule. So don't feed from the table, but I will. Or um, from your mouth, I have to say. Reagan, actually, literally, <laughs> I saw her feeding Otis from her mouth. Like, I'm like, no, that's that's like baby birding your little dog. It was that was that was a little much. I think that was the the deciding factor. I'm like, okay, enough is enough. <laughs> Good choice on your part for sure. <laughs> yeah. So if you do want to feed your dog um, little bits of steak or chicken or whatever it is you're having for dinner, I will feed mine to them in their bowl, cut it up in bite sized pieces, and even give it to them in their bowl. Or 
um, in a Kong, feed it to them in their Kong uh, while they're on their mat or while they're in a crate or um, something else. Uh, so that way they still can enjoy certain bits of food, but they're not getting it from the table. So I'm never reinforcing that behavior of looking imploringly at me while I'm eating. And basically they, they rarely get fed in the kitchen. Like they, that's just not a, that's not the place where food scraps come from and get delivered to them. Because as a trainer, I'm always think about what am, what am I reinforcing if I do feed them during, you know, while, while I'm cooking, if I reach down and feed them a, a piece of whatever I'm cooking, then I'm really reinforcing uh, them being close to me and I'm, re I'm reinforcing that begging behavior. So um, the, with the exception being if they're on their mat in the kitchen, then yes, good things come from those who, good things come to those who wait on their mat. Love that. So another thing when we think about these behaviors is we, we talked about the separation component. So can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, so I would say pay attention to these behaviors like chewing, especially if it's a sudden change in your dog's behavior. So no matter what the behavior is, if, you, if you're noticing a sudden change in the behavior, like the dog quote unquote knows better, they've already, you know, they've never chewed a shoe in a year and a half. And now all of a sudden you've noticed that when you're leaving the house, they're chewing everything in sight or they're chewing every time that's when it's time to really start to pay close attention when it seems to be happening out of the blue. And you really want to involve um, either your veterinarian or if you're a free certified trainer, behaviorist, uh, or a combination of those two. So separation anxiety, if that's what it is, is a really is a serious problem and unlikely to just go away on its own and very likely to be made worse if we use any type of punishment or just assume that the dog will quote unquote get over it and that the chewing will stop on its own. That's pretty unlikely to happen. So I would say like, while it's, if it's going on while you're away, um, really look at putting some more tools in the toolbox in terms of what that comprehensive behavior plan could include. So it may include confining the dogs to certain areas. It may not, it may make like your, like your girl Nova, that might make it worse to if you mm -hmm. try and confine her to a crate. Yeah, if they try to confine her to a crate and it's separation anxiety, that could make it worse for some dogs. It could make it better for some dogs. So it really is a very individual thing. So we can look at um, using gates to gate off certain rooms if that's where most of the chewing is occurring or um, even putting up an exercise pen like around the couch, let's say, if the puppy is or if the dog is chewing the couch. A, a thought I have too on when dogs are chewing when they're left alone, it's so important to be able to have a way to kind of watch what's going on. And I think that's an important preventive, regardless of if your dog is chewing or not, is you want to see how they actually cope with being left alone when you're away. And so for some dogs, they may be more quiet and more like especially older dogs, there was a study that showed that when they're stressed out, a lot of times they aren't as vocal, they aren't as, as outward about how they feel, they more kind of hold it in, but they still have very high stress levels and even actually higher stress than their younger counterparts that are more vocal about it, or maybe more destructive in their anxiety. So 
these pets are really suffering and they may be suffering silently. So that's where it's important to really look at, okay, what's going on? So when, for instance, with Nova, we happen to accidentally, so she does well when she's left out in the open space of the home. And some dogs are like that when they are not confined, they're less stressed. So whether that's a negative history of being crated or perhaps being in a shelter run or whatever it might be, and just maybe not having that early preparation to feel comfortable in a confined space. Some dogs definitely get more anxious as does Nova. And for her, just recently, my boyfriend accidentally, I, I don't know, he thinks that Nova shut the door on herself, but I, I kind of think maybe he accidentally, who knows, maybe, maybe somehow she got left in, in the room. And when we came back, I could just hear her like, Wah! like in these like whining, like, oh, so stressed out sounds. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> where is Nova? Went upstairs to my bedroom and the the doorknob was kind of like, you could tell like there were little pieces that were kind of broken off of it. The blinds, she, I mean, the, the, so I live in an old 1910 house we've been restoring. And so, I mean, these blinds needed to be kind of torn down anyway. So my boyfriend likes to say it was just her telling us that, hey, these are really ugly blinds. Like you guys need to redo this. But um, very common with dogs that have that separation anxiety, you'll see chewing and clawing at exit points. So I've seen dogs before that literally will chew out of, of a door. They will like tear out of a window. Like they become like just this, it's this adrenaline rush. Like I have to get out. I have to get out. I have to get back to my family. And so, and, and that, that anxiety of being confined in a space. So for her, that was a very sure sign that she was feeling really distressed, wanting to get out. So looking towards the window, looking towards the door, those exit points, but also, in some cases, a dog may be, may be destructive when they're left alone simply because they're bored. Or like with Nova, she will tear through things. So if there's any, any treat that she can get to. So I had like ice cream cones that were in a package, for instance, or sometimes it could be like dog treats in a package or even medications that are sealed. They're in, in you know, they are put away on a shelf and she has literally pulled those off the shelf, opened the, the vial, gotten through. And like, that was, that was the terror that I came home to just not that long ago that I was like, wow, this is, this is some serious, serious separation anxiety. And that happened just, just the day after when she was left alone in the bedroom. And so this time it was, and that, that probably that anxiety of being left alone in that confined space, even though in the past she did well, when we left her probably really heightened her anxiety levels. So the next day, even when she was left alone in the open space, she was feeling really anxious, really upset. And so she got into the medications and uh, did all of that. So Definitely filming your pet is helpful because you will be able to see, okay, is my pet just bored? Like, what does their body language look like? You know, are, and for those dogs that are, are more quiet about how they feel when they are distressed, you may see things too, like, like excessive salivation. You may see like stress panting. There was a dog I was working with that literally he would come out of his crate every time and he was just soaked, soaked with his own slobber, with his own spit because he was just so anxious, so upset, just that stress response is so strong in his body. So he wasn't vocalized or anything like that, but just the the part of him, him just being so soaked. Or some dogs, like they will even start to 
do things such as like licking their paws and they can create these hot spots that can become really problematic because that's their way of coping with stress. So definitely getting that video evidence is very, very helpful. And for both dogs that are bored or those that have that anxiety with separation, so important to give them great alternatives and to give them these happy occupiers. And as you mentioned, Kongs are awesome. So any type of food puzzle that we can, we can freeze even, we can get them to where they are really happy using these when we're around, get them comfortable with that. So then when we leave, that becomes like, ooh, open door opportunity to be able to get these, these really cool uh, uh, pass, puppy pacifiers almost, where it gives them something to do, something to work on. So that way they're not sitting at home, just bored out of their mind with nothing to do. So really giving them that happy employment is important. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I agree with you there for sure, to giving the dogs plenty of outlets for healthy chewing every day so that they do, because chewing, as you said, it is a normal dog behavior and it's a necessary part of their behavioral repertoire. So allowing them to practice that every day is really important. So um, bones and Kongs and things that are safe to chew on. If you have a dog who likes to shred things like Nova, per, like, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. So sh shredding, dissecting is, is part of that predatory sequence. That's part of um, uh, killing an animal, being able to dissect it. So giving them something that's safe to dissect. So something like a cardboard box while you're supervising them or um, paper towel rolls or even you know shredding up pieces of paper things that that they can shred again safely while you're watching making sure that they're not ingesting this stuff but just giving them that outlet to shred something can be really helpful too if they're if it's a dog who enjoys shredding things so um and then like you said being able to watch your dog while you're away i think with the technology that we have nowadays of being able to get a camera fairly inexpensively in the house and pointing it at certain rooms of the house or getting maybe even two or three of them in areas where the dog spends a lot of time. You want to see that evidence that the dog is for the most part sleeping or, you know, maybe, maybe waking up, walking around, taking a look out the window. And then, um, so for me, for my dogs, when they come home, when I come home, it's pretty evident that they've been sleeping. They're they're happy to see me and, you know, they're wagging their tail and they're, you know, greeting me and yay, mom's home, but it's pretty evident that they've been sleeping. So I, that is what I like to see when I come home, that, that evidence of the dog is spending most of their time when you're not around sleeping. That's a, that's a good sign. So if you're seeing a lot of that pacing and whining or vocalizing or destructive chewing, um, those are all signs of separation anxiety and things we want to definitely address rather than let that go on. Yep. And as you mentioned earlier, it doesn't get better with time. It's far more likely to get worse and worse over time. So just like with Nova, where she had that one experience of being locked in the bedroom and she, the next day it, it, you know, she shows even more of those high stress behaviors and gets into stuff that she had access to before, but this time she was a little bit more stressed out. And so even though she wasn't clawing or trying to chew at exit points, she definitely, with her stress, she loves to have stuff in her mouth. So it's lots and lots of toys and chewies. But I think, you know, it's like, oh, my God, I, I'm not feeling comfortable with myself. What do I do? What do I do? And so I think for her, she kind of goes on the hunt, goes on the search to find something really good, which for her was Rimadyl. And that's a medication that has a flavor to it and can be very, very deadly to dogs if they eat too much of it. And so that was a pretty scary experience to come home to just 
piles and piles of dog throw up and just not knowing what happened, but then finding the evidence. And it's like, oh my goodness, like literally, you know, got into the container, chewed it, ate it. So we were really monitoring her for a couple days. And then for even a week after to make sure that she was okay, you know, it was like, okay, you know, do we need to do an emergency vet visit? That's where the ASPCA, they have a pet poison hotline is an important thing to know about because in that circumstance, thankfully I have my dad who's a veterinarian who could help guide me on, on, okay, this is the time to go take her in or, okay, can I monitor it at home? And sometimes they may guide you on certain things too, on helping your pet to kind of uh, dispel that, that whatever it is that they ingested. So sometimes they may guide you on something like having a, a certain amount of like hydrogen peroxide or something like that, for instance, that can help your pet to throw up what they just took in. And also it's very important to monitor that. So definitely recommend talking to your pet's vet, to your emergency vet, and that, that ASPCA pet poison hotline is an important one to know about for sure. So that was very scary. And now all medications, regardless of if they're up on shelves, put away, like they are in closed containers and also inside of cabinets that there's no way she's going to be able to get into. So that was a very good learning lesson that, wow, I have a serious, serious counter surfer. And so I'm definitely taking things a lot more seriously, plus treating that separation anxiety, which really is that underlying cause of, of what's driving that behavior. So when we think too about different things that we want our pets to chew, so whether it's toys we want them playing with, those food puzzles that are stuffed that we want them occupying their time with, or whatever it might be, some of those productive chews, as you mentioned, maybe like a, a stuffed bone or like a Nyla bone, which by the way, my dad, Dr. Marty Becker, veterinarian, would say that you don't want your pet to chew anything harder then would hurt to kind of hit your knee with is one of his gauges or something that would be harder than your dog's teeth. However, I think that sometimes we have to, you know, figure out what's going to work for our pet. So if we do have a big time chewer, sometimes like they can just power through those things like nothing. So that's where, you know, we may we may find those alternatives. So like the black Kong, for instance, is great. It's very durable, very hard to chew through. But in some instances, that's where we may offer some of those, those harder chews that maybe, while not ideal for the teeth from a veterinary standpoint, in some cases, it can keep our pet from getting into even bigger trouble, such as going through those medication vials like Nova or chewing on the furniture or whatever else it might be that, that also poses its own risk. So I think sometimes there's some, some risk evaluation on, on what's really worth it there. But when our pet is chewing, we want to, or playing with something that's their own, we want to reinforce that. And I think that's an important point that is often missed is that sometimes our pets only get attention when they are doing the naughty thing or the thing that we don't want them to do. So sometimes pets will learn to do things like playing the game of keep away, for instance. So finding those shoes or finding that kid's toy and then they grab it and then it's like this big chase where all of a sudden we're chasing after the dog to try and get this toy or that shoe or whatever it might be. And it's just this fabulous game for them. Or it can also become a, an opportunity and uh, something that can be a higher risk of of them showing some of that resource guarding behavior, which can definitely be risky. And so in those circumstances, that's where having some, some ways to both reinforce the desired behavior, using that management whenever possible. And then if our pet does get into something, so, so they have something in their mouth, 
that this is one actually that I use on a walk with my my pug, my late pug Bruce, who was just such an amazing little guy. But he loved loved food and was always finding opportunities to eat different things. And this was during a time in Seattle when people were there was someone that was poisoning dogs and leaving bread with poison on the inside at at dog parks and things like that. And one of those things, like I was walking him outside in this area and he came across some bread. And so hopefully it was fine, but it scared the bejesus out of me because of all those poisonings that were going on, of course. And so that was one of those where I used my cue, drop it, which is teaching the dog to release whatever is in their mouth. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because as soon as he heard that cue, even uh, full bread in his mouth, it's like a big old bun. His mouth's just full. His cheeks are puffed out. And he actually spit out the entire thing. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't. Like, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And really reinforce that behavior. So anytime our pet does have something and, you know, whether it's like maybe a chicken bone or whatever it might be, we want to try and find a way to you know, ideally get them to drop it. But even if they don't know a drop it yet, sometimes you can get them to trade for something else. So trying to find something of equal or even higher value when possible is very important. And then you may toss that away or give it a little ways away from that that other food that they may have. So say it's that chicken chicken bone, you know, when we use a drop it or say that we have out something even better, like maybe we have, have some, some actual chicken or whatever it might be, that's where you know, sometimes for those dogs that are really possessive, I may toss a couple of treats or toss a, a couple pieces of chicken just for them letting it go. And then because sometimes they have to be persuaded to actually move away from that item. But so after a couple of treats, then all of a sudden, OK, that's really good. And then I'm going to throw out that that bigger hunk of meat away from that that bone. And then I'm going to grab it as they move their body away. So it becomes less of an opportunity to resource guard and, and show any of that aggressive behavior. So makes it definitely safer. Um, but we want to really practice drop it all throughout the week, like just at, at normal time. So we do have some resources on Fear Free Happy Homes on that piece. And the other behavior that's important too is also leave it. So leave it is a great behavior that teaches our pet that whatever it is that you're looking at right now or that you're interested in right now, just look away from it, move away from it. So it's kind of like almost like, a, you know, just leave that thing alone. So we can use that for lots of different things, but say our pet is going towards perhaps a child's toy or some food on the counter, something like that. We can use that leave it behavior before they have it in their mouth, before they have full access to it to teach them to move away. And we can really heavily reinforce that behavior. I love those. Um, yeah, those are great. And just something to add with leave it and drop it. When I'm teaching both of those, um, I start with really low value items that I'm asking the dog to leave or drop out of their mouth. So if I have a, t a dog toy or something that the dog just really doesn't care very much about, that's when I'll give my drop it cue and I'll reward that with a, either an, a higher value toy or a piece of food or something that trumps the item that they had just had in their mouth. So starting it off and then gradually building up the, the value of it. But when we're initially teaching it, starting off with really low value items, I think is just one only tip I would had, add to your great training advice there. Awesome, Lori. Gosh, I, I so, so love being able to talk about this today. I, what are your closing thoughts on this huge topic that has really spanned for us from separation anxiety to boredom to just it being a fairly natural dog behavior that we need to manage? Like, what are your closing thoughts? 
Well, that is a couple of them that you just said that it is a nor thinking of it as a normal dog behavior, I think is very important. And um, looking at the reason why it's occurring, I think that's important as well. So if it is occurring only when we're away and we think there's a separation anxiety component to it, really adding in those experts to help with it, as well as uh, management is a really big part of the really big component of solving counter surfing and inappropriate chewing and garbage rating and a lot of undesirable behaviors. So really thinking about blocking off access to that area and prevent the problem before it even starts. Um, we do actually have some really great resources on fearfreehappyhomes.com that will help people. So there is a video that we did on dog chewing and we also did a video on counter surfing and there's an article or more than one article actually on chewing. So we'll go ahead and leave some links to those videos and articles in the show notes for this episode. Awesome, Lori. Well, I dig you, girl, and I just think you're amazing. So I can't wait to have you back and we'll chat on some more topics that not only can we help other people with, but also I think every time that we talk, I always take away something for myself as well, because no matter who you are, what trainer you are, what veterinarian you are, like we all have different things that we deal with, with ourselves, with our pets. So I just so appreciate being able to talk it all out with you. Thanks, friend. Right back at you. I definitely always learn something every time we talk training. So looking forward to the next one. Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws. We hope you continue tuning in every two weeks as we explore more about your pets. Next time on Happy Paws, we're joined by Doug Keeling, owner and founder of the award-winning Badge of the Bone Pet Care. We talk about how Fear Free has changed pet sitting, how you can find the best sitter for your pet, and a few secrets of the trade. Make sure you subscribe to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took a moment and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number three, the word one, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music. <laughs>